This morning, go ahead and turn to uh, Matthew chapter 13. Uh, we are back in Matthew after taking a, a little bit of a break for the last few weeks. Uh, and we're going to jump right back in kind of where Matthew transitions to uh, a different part of the gospel. You've seen a lot of different things that Jesus has done to this point. You've seen him do miracles to establish who he is, to establish that divinity. You've seen him preaching uh, with great power, uh, very straightforward. As we went through the Sermon on the Mount, it, it was a sermon, it was a, a, a discussion with those who were gathered that left uh, very little room for interpretation. Jesus laid out things in very clear, very plain language. Uh, he shared what the mission of the kingdom was. He shared the fact that this kingdom was about the loss. It was about taking those who were far away, bringing them near, taking those who were dead in their sins and bringing them alive again through the sacrifice that he had come uh, to make, what he had come to accomplish. But now you get to Jesus telling some stories. He's, what we're going to look at really are, are the stories of the kingdom for the next few weeks. I don't know about you, but I am thrilled that we actually saw some sunshine this week. Anyone else glad that it stopped raining and we got some sunshine? All right. Let me tell you a little something about Ohioans, all right? And I think this is probably true everywhere, but yesterday I had some running around to do, and every store I walked into, the person that greeted me made some comment about how terrible it was because it was so hot. Now, a couple weeks ago, everybody was complaining because where was summer? It's so cold. Why is it so cold? When's summer going to get here? And then summer got here, and, and now we complain because it's, it's too hot already. Now, if you want to complain about the wet. If you want to complain about the rain, that's fine, because I, I agree with you on that. Uh, our backyard was to the point where I don't, we had mowed in three weeks or so, um, and the, the grass was probably about a foot high by the time I finally got out there to mow. And even then, you're still slogging through some patches uh, where, where you just really can't push a mower through, but you got to try anyways, otherwise it's going to start looking like a jungle in your backyard. Uh, there was so much rain. We actually got rain uh, inside the church in a couple places that I have never seen water come in before uh, in the church. So that's how much water we had over these last few weeks. Now, back when we bought the house, uh, one of the things we didn't know about our house uh, was the fact that the backyard had a huge drainage issue. And so what we went through this year pales in comparison to what we went through some other years where it really wasn't even all that wet. But what happens is the water, we have a low spot in our yard. And so all the water from our wonderful neighbors, the Donleys, and all of the water from the house that's, I don't know what direction, I, I was going to try to say north, south, east, or west, but just that way as you're looking out at my yard. All right, does that help? All of that drains straight into our yard and then would just sit. And we put up with it for, I think, about a year, year and a half. The last straw for me was one year in the spring, I look out and there's ducks in my, in my backyard. Just, I mean, I literally had a pond in my backyard. And so that's when we decided it was probably time to do something about it. And so I called Dan Mall, who is an expert at this kind of uh, work, and we put a French drain in. And when Dan was done, and it was my turn to actually do some work now, uh, and by the way, You've never seen someone work until you've seen Dan Maul work. I mean, that, that boy can work, I'm telling you. But he gets done with what he did, which was all the hard stuff, while I sat and drank lemonade and watched him work. Um, it wasn't as creepy as that just sounded. But when it was my turn, I was tasked with regrowing our lawn. Because we had basically dug up probably about two-thirds of our lawn. And so we just had our backyard was just dirt and rocks 
and uh, it needed to be replanted. There needed to be grass that began to grow again. And grass is one of those things that I'm not a farmer, in case you didn't notice. I don't know much about agriculture, about growing things. Grass has always fascinated me, though, because the times where I've tried to plant grass, it never seems to work right. And yet, I go out in my driveway, and I see grass that has grown up through the concrete and poked its way. So obviously, grass can grow in poor situations, and it's strong enough. If it can break rocks apart and come up through the concrete, I'll never understand why I can't get it to grow in the places that I actually want it to grow. But I went out, and I began to—I prepared the soil first, and then went out and laid grass seed everywhere. And I mean, I spread it incredibly liberally. I, I, I had so much grass seed in our backyard. And then you cover it, and you water it, and you wait. And that seed grew in about a third of where I wanted it to grow. And again, to me, it makes zero sense, because to me, everything looked exactly the same. I watered everything exactly the same, but grass would only grow in a few places. The same seed with the potential to grow, every single seed had that same potential to thrive, but it acted differently depending on slight differences in where it fell. Some of it grew and was great. Some of it grew. I had one patch that grew immediately. Actually grew, grew faster than the rest of it. And then about a week or two later just died completely. And then there was other places that I still can't get the grass to grow right. And it just never sprouted. As we get back into Matthew now, Jesus tells a, a very similar story to this. And he uses it to explain the different ways that people are going to respond to the gospel. But I think there's more to it than that, because I think as Christians, the mistake that we made is we make is we read a story like this, like we're going to read in a moment, and we use it to apply to certain things, but not others. And, and most of you are familiar with this story. This is one that if you went to Sunday school as a little kid, you got this story, the parable of the seed, the parable of the sower. But most of it apply it one way, and we fail to apply it to our own lives in our own hearts, and use it as an opportunity to take stock of where we are in our relationship with God. Listen as I read Matthew chapter 13, the first nine verses. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. So again, as we get into this part of the larger narrative of Matthew, Jesus has transitioned to beginning to tell some stories that are uh, a little bit veiled in their meanings. He, he no longer is just kind of laying things out, this is the way it is. These are the things that are important in the kingdom. These are the things that you should do. These are the things that you should not do. Now he's beginning to tell stories to reveal glimpses of what the kingdom is going to look like of what those who inherit the kingdom are going to look like. And he begins to speak in parables, using very familiar imagery for the people that are listening. Using things like growing grass, planting a field, agriculture, using stories about uh, weddings, things that even the most simple among those listening 
would understand on one level. At least would be able to understand the imagery, to grasp what it was that Jesus was talking about. The word parable comes from a Greek word, and it's actually the word that we also get our English word parallel for. And the word literally means putting things side by side or running things parallel. And why they're called parables, these stories, are because there are two stories that are going on with each of them. There is the, the surface story, and then there is a deeper meaning. There's a deeper spiritual meaning that is running right alongside of it. And the reason why Jesus begins to tell stories this way, he explains to us in verse 10, because the disciples wondered why he now was making this change. Why are you now moving from such clear, plain language? to things that at times, as you read through the Gospels, you see that the disciples even failed to understand exactly what Jesus was getting at. In verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And here's his answer. Jesus replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and long to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So what Jesus says here to the disciples is that he is looking for a way to kind of cut through the pomp and circumstance that's begun to surround him. Or we would call today the the circus that surrounded him. We read at the beginning of this passage, the beginning of 13, that such large crowds had gathered around him that he had to get in a boat and teach while standing in a boat because there wasn't even room for him to stand and still have all the crowds be able to see him and to be able to hear him. And what's happening here is you have people that just want to see the show. You have people that have heard about the miracles that Jesus has done. You have people that have heard about the, the preaching and the authority that Jesus has and the way that he teaches. And basically, they want to come and they want to see Jesus do his tricks. They want to see the show. And so Jesus explains to the disciples that the aim of the parables is to draw out from the masses those few who would grasp what Jesus was really driving at. Those few that could see that parallel meaning, that spiritual meaning that was just below the surface of what he was talking about. God would use these stories, he would use these parables to enlighten the receptive, but to confuse the unreceptive. These stories revealed truth to those who were genuinely looking for it, genuinely seeking, those who were, were hungry, and it concealed it from those who were too lazy to look for it or too blinded by what they wanted to see happen, their own agenda, or their own hatred, their own prejudice. So when Jesus teaches in this way, he has a very specific purpose in mind. This is to reveal those who would be his followers. It's to reveal those who genuinely have hearts that are seeking God and seeking something different than what they've seen uh, in, as far as the religious structure of their entire lives. 
So let's look at the parable that Jesus uses here. There's three parts of this parable. And the overarching message of this parable that we can't miss, even as we look at all the different aspects of the story, the overarching message is that the kingdom is grown when the word is sown. That's the message that he wants to make sure that we get. Because you have to understand it, even though now he's talking in kind of some veiled references, he's still revealing truth about the kingdom. He's still revealing truth about why it is that he's come. And so now he's talking again about how the kingdom grows and what it's going to look like. And it's grown when the word is sown. And we're told different people react in different ways. But the reality is a harvest will take place. People will react in different ways, but a harvest will happen. And so you have those three aspects of the story. You have the sower, and you have the seed, and you have the soil. So let's take a look at the sower first. The sower in this story, the farmer goes out to plant the seed. And so the first question you have is, is who, it, who is it? Who does it represent? Because again, in a parable, everything represents something else with that deeper spiritual meaning. And the temptation can be, for some of us, we look at the main character of every parable and we immediately go, well, that's God. Or we immediately go, well, that's Jesus. He's talking about himself there. And in this story, it's not. In this story, the one who is sowing is the one who is spreading the gospel. The one who is sowing is the one who is uh, talking about the good news and sharing the good news with those around them. And so in this story, the sower is us. The sower is those who would believe the message and then in turn share that message with others. All of us are tasked with the uh, job, the role of sowing the seed of the good news of Jesus Christ into the lives of others. Every Christian is tasked with that command to go and to preach the gospel. We're all told that we're to study to show ourselves approved. We're all told that we are to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. And so here again is the revelation of Jesus that this is the way his kingdom is going to grow. Through those who would believe and then in turn go and sow that message into the lives of others. There's a few things we see about the sower that we need to remember as we look at our role in this process. The first thing is that he goes out and he sows actively. It says a farmer goes out. He goes to work. He works hard to make sure that the seed is planted the way that it should be. There's intent behind what he does. Sharing our faith, sowing the seed of the good news requires the same thing. It is active. It's not passive. There needs to be intent behind what we're doing. Philemon 1.6, Paul writes this. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. It's interesting there. We're to be active in sharing our faith. And do you see what comes along with that after that? You're to be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of what Christ has done. As we share, we grow. As we step out and begin to sow the good news in other people, we come to a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit does a work in us where we grow as a result of that process. But we are to sow actively. Every once in a while, someone may just walk up to you and go, hey, I don't know you, but I heard from someone, you're a Christian. Can you tell me about the gospel? And it kind of happens passively like that. All right? That's, in my experience, 
That's pretty rare. You need to put yourself in a position to be able to sow the good news. You need to be living the kind of life where people are seeing the change in you. And you need to be actively cultivating, actively preparing the soil along with God. Actively working on relationships where you'll have the opportunity to share the good news and to sow into other people's lives. We're to sow actively. The other thing here is we're to sow liberally. The the story describes all of the different places that the seed falls. It paints a picture of a farmer that isn't walking down one row and dropping seeds like this. He's picking it up and just chucking it wherever it's going to fall. When I was planting in my backyard, I looked behind me at one point, and William, who was probably three, three and a half at the time, had double fists in the bag of grass seed and was just turning around and throwing it everywhere. I mean, it was going in the neighbor's yards. It was going where there was already grass. It was going places where I didn't want grass. That's the picture we get. That's the more biblical picture than just planting the seed where you think it should be and you think it should grow. The picture of William just sticking both fists in there and literally just spinning around and throwing it and seeing what God is going to do with it. I don't know how much of his seed grew, but I guarantee some of it did. The farmer in the story threw the seeds out and let them land where they may, knowing that some would grow in places he never expected them to. And we're to sow expectantly. We're to sow expectantly. Look, when I went out to plant that grass in my backyard, I expected to have a lawn shortly. I expected it to grow or you would never do it. There'd be absolutely no point behind it. As the farmer sows in this story, he does it with an expectation that there is going to be a yield. Something is going to grow from the seeds that he's planting. The work of sowing for us, the work of uh, sowing into the life of someone else, sharing the gospel with someone else is never in vain. Even if that person doesn't give the response that we think he should or she should. But on the flip side of that, too, I I think every once in a while, uh, we go out and we share the gospel with someone out of obligation. I'm going to do this because the Bible tells me I have to. And then when they respond in a positive way, we're a little surprised. Wait, what? You you mean you want to talk more about it? It surprises us because we're not sowing with that expectation that God is going to take it and God is going to do something with it. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, dear brother, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We are so with an expectation that God is going to use what's been done. And so we see that, that we are the sowers. We need to be sowing actively and liberally and expectantly. And the next thing we see, and we'll spend just a minute here, is the seed. The seed is pretty straightforward. It's the gospel. Uh, Verse 19 says it's the message of the kingdom. It's the good news that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's the good news that while we were lost in our sins, Jesus provided a way for those sins to be forgiven. It's the good news that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again. And for those who put their faith in him and their trust in him, they will have a relationship with God that lasts into eternity and never ends. And that there's a glorious eternity that awaits those who've trusted Christ as their Savior. That's the seed. That's what's being sown. 
in any way that we possibly can. That's what's being conveyed to those around us. And then we really get to the, the main part of the story here, the main part of the teaching. And that's the soil. That's the different types of soil. And for us, we read a story like this, and I think we tend to think of the ways that we plant today. We think of farmers that go out with their modern machinery, and they plant these perfect rows where every seed has its perfect place to go, and they're aided by all of these things that we have today that are available to us. And that's not at all how they planted back in Jesus' day. If we understand this, how they planted back then, it gives us just a little more depth to the story that we're looking at. Back in those days, the farmer would have cast seed all over the ground, and then he would have attempted to plow all of it under. The fields would have been in long strips, but they would have had wide paths between each of the strips because this was a culture where everyone walked everywhere. And so you couldn't just have a huge field where things were growing where no one could get through those fields. And so as we talk about the seed that falls on the path, that's this well-worn walking path that, again, would have cut a wide swath through the middle of these fields. Sometimes Romans would build their roads right next to a farmer's field. And so, again, you had places where, where seed was simply not going to grow. And other times you would plant a field right next to another person's field that they'd allow to go wild. And so it was full of thorns and weeds. And so as the farmer sowed the seed, in that day there were a lot of different places where those seeds could fall. Now as we look at these different soils, again, I think we need to look at it with an eye on two things. One is, yes, this gives us a great picture of what to expect as you share the gospel with others. I have shared the gospel and I've had reactions that fit in each of these types of soil. Absolutely. But I think it's a great opportunity as well to look at our own hearts. To kind of turn the spotlight on us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, yes, you've come to that place where you bowed your knee before God, but can our hearts still fit into these categories? And I think that they can. And so again, I think it's a good opportunity not simply to look at well, okay, this only applies to the lost. Now, this, I think this applies to people who already have a relationship with Jesus Christ as well. And so we get back into it. Jesus begins to explain the parable to the disciples. And beginning with verse 19, he gives us that first type of soil. He says this about the soil that fell on the path. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Again, this is the seed that's fallen on that path that would have been hard-packed ground, that would have been packed down by years and years and years of people walking over it constantly. And so when the seed hits it, there's, there's no place for it to go. There's no place for it to dig into the soil. There's no place for it to put roots down. It cannot come up and begin to grow. And so the birds eat it. Now, Scripture also says the evil one. And this, I think, is important for us to understand, too. We tend to forget at times that there is an active enemy. There is a prince of this world who stands opposed to everything about the kingdom of God. There is one that as we sow, he is actively looking to keep that seed from growing. And we're told here the evil one comes and he snatches away that seed. So there's no chance of it ever growing. 
I think there's a lot of circumstances that make people's hearts this way, certainly. I think for a lot of people, it, it's as simple as, as pride, arrogance, that desperate longing for independence that makes us reject a gospel that's about surrender and dependence. And so as you share God's love with others, you need to understand that there are people that simply will not listen, period. They will cut you off. They want nothing to do with it. The seed is not even put in a position where it can possibly grow. Now, this is the one that I will say, that as Christians, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, this is the one soil that does not apply to us because that seed has already been planted and taken some sort of root in our lives. But Jesus teaches here that there are hearts that will not ever embrace the truth. And, and we can't take responsibility for that. When someone doesn't respond to the gospel, that's between them and God. That's not our cause to sow the seed. And it's God's responsibility what happens with that seed. And so if you encounter someone like that, and for some of you, maybe it's even a family member. I have a brother that as soon as you begin to talk about anything that has to do with God, he will cut you off immediately. It doesn't mean you just give up on him. You continue to pray. And you continue to live a life in front of them that points back to Jesus. But again, we do need to understand when we take that step of sowing, it's not a guarantee that someone is going to respond to the gospel. And there are some that simply have hard hearts that will not embrace the truth. The second place where the seeds fell was that rocky soil in verses 20 and 21. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. And so in the story that Jesus tells, there's some that fell among the rocks where it did grow quickly. But there's no depth to the soil and so it wasn't able to put down any roots. There are those who will respond eagerly to the gospel. Because as in Jesus' day, they're looking for a quick fix. They're looking for something that will just simply fix all of their problems. Something that will give them that perfect life. That happy life. And so they accept it eagerly, but then there's no steps beyond that. There's no attempt to grow. There's no attempt uh, at discipleship. There's no attempt to begin to put down the roots that will help them to stand. And so as soon as adversity comes... They turn their backs on God. These are the people that you'll hear say, how could God do this to me? This wasn't what I signed up for. If God loved me, then I'd be happy. I'd have these things. I'd have the these are people, again, that are just simply looking to get something from God, just like we see as people are listening to Jesus teach. These are the ones that just want the miracles. They want to see God do his tricks. And there's no depth to their relationship at all. Paul talks in Ephesians as he's praying for the church in Ephesus. He prays that their roots would go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. Why? Because without roots you can't stand. If you don't have depth, if you don't have growth, even the slightest wind will knock you over. 
my dad and I were driving years ago. I don't remember where we were or what we were doing. But we're driving someplace, and there had been a storm the night before. It wasn't a terrible storm, but it had gotten a little bit windy. And as we were driving along the road, we saw out in the field beside us a pine tree that was probably, probably 35, 45 feet long. And it had been completely toppled over. It didn't like snap and part of it came down. It got pulled up out of the ground. And you could see the roots. And you had this huge pine tree and the roots were maybe went that deep and that's it. And so as soon as a significant wind came, a significant wind blew, the pine tree was ripped out of the ground because it didn't have the roots that it needed to provide strength, to provide nourishment, to provide stability. It didn't have what it needed to allow it to live and to continue to grow. And Jesus says that's how some hearts are. And this is where I think you start to get into places where it applies to us as Christians. Because if the soil of our heart is rocky, if there's nowhere for God's truth to take hold, if there's nowhere where we're growing, we're going to be toppled over. This world is hard. <laughs> there's no way around it. None of us get through this life unscathed. Jesus says, in this world, you will have troubles. And for a Christian, if you don't have roots that go down deep into God's love, if you are not convinced that God created you on purpose and for a purpose and loves you, if you're not convinced that this part is just the small part, that we have an eternity to come that make whatever we're dealing with in this life worth it and really seem insignificant in light of what's to come. If that doesn't describe your heart, then again, when those winds of adversity blow, when those storms come, you will fall. The next type of soil that Jesus gives us here is in verse 22. He explains uh, that weedy, weed-infested, thorn-infested soil. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke it, making it unfruitful. This is one that if I had to, if I had to guess, I won't try to put a number on it. But this is one where there are a large number of Christians that still fall into this category. Because this is one where the word is sown, there's a response there's roots. You begin to grow. You begin to see God do things in your relationship with him. But then we're told that the weeds come along. The thorns come along. They begin to choke out that life. They begin to choke out any growth that has taken place. I think this is a man or woman who has made a genuine decision to follow Christ with their life. Again, they put down some roots. Growth has happened. But somewhere along the line, they get a little distracted. Children are born. There's mortgages that need to be paid. Careers take off. And the word that was sown in them gets choked out by everything else that's going on around them. And this is one of those things, honestly, and my wife and I have been guilty of this at times as well. I think as parents, one of the biggest 
it's going to sound terrible, but one of the biggest weeds and thorns is our kids. We elevate our children to the point where they now take priority over what God has for our lives. They now take priority over our own spiritual lives, our own spiritual growth. We convince ourselves that right now in this season of life, I have to pour everything into them, do everything for them. I have to take them to every sporting event, give them every opportunity to thrive and to shine, even if it means that there's absolutely zero growth in my spiritual life during this time. And then when this season is over, I'll get back to God. These are those Christians that have allowed the things of this life to choke out the growth, to choke out what God has wanted to do in their lives. I've asked people over my 20 years of ministry so many times if they would serve in this area or serve in that area. Hey, can you do this? And so many times I get that response. You know what? Right now we're just too busy. Or after this sports season for our kids, then we'll help out. Or after we get through this, we'll help out. And in my experience, what I found is life never slows down unless you intentionally slow it down. That season of life that you think you're in where it's just busier than any other season ever, it's not automatically going to slow down because you'll find new things to take the place of those things that may come to an end. And so for the Christian, our job, our role is to put Christ first. It's to put the kingdom of God first. It's to put our spiritual walk, our spiritual growth. It's to put our discipleship first and be doing those things we know that are going to grow us in our relationship with God. You've heard me say it before. I think one of the biggest disservices that we're doing for our children is that we've made church, we've made church attendance, we've made spending time with the body of Christ just one of many options. And you know what? If anything else comes up, we're going to go and we're going to do that thing. Well, we've got to take our kids to this and to this and to this and to this. And if we have any time left over, we'll come to church every once in a while. And again, what I've seen in my experience is that parents always want church to be important for their children. Parents always want their kids to grow up and to have their own families and then to plug into a church and be active in that church. But when they don't see it as a priority for their parents, very rarely does it become a higher priority for the child. Most of the time, in what I've seen, is it becomes less of a priority for that child. So we are called to model those things for our kids, to model growth, to model health for our kids, and to cut some of these weeds off at the root. When I was a kid, my dad would make us go out and and weed areas of our yard, and my brother and I always thought we were done because we'd just go out and we'd pull the very top off. We never really could understand why we'd always get in so much trouble because there was still a root. And if there's still a root, it's going to come back in a day or two. And it's going to continue to choke out the life of the healthy plants. And so again, I think as Christians, you have to ask that question. What have you let into your life? What have you made a priority in your life that is choking the life out of your relationship with God? Whether it's money, whether it's relationships, whether it's work, whether it's family obligations, all good things. But when we allow them to become more important than our relationship with Christ, they become an idol in our lives, and they become sin. The last soil that Jesus talks about here is the good soil. The good soil. This is the man that hears the word, and it sticks, and he puts 
roots down and the weeds are destroyed and we're told that a crop is produced. In verse 22, sorry, 23. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word understand and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is the Christian who is having an impact on the kingdom of God. This is the one that sometimes I think as Christians we look at and go, wow, that's, you know, they're a super Christian. God's never going to use me that way. But these are people that are making an investment. These are people that are walking closely with God and make their relationship with Christ a priority. And Scripture says these are the ones that yield a crop. These are the ones that will harvest far more than they plant. The seed, again, going back over this entire story, the seed is God's word. And in our lives, we can't sow what we don't know. And so as you look at the good seed, you look at the seed that grows. I think, again, taking stock of our own lives. What place do we give God's word? What priority does the gospel have in our lives? What, what priority does the kingdom have in our lives? As we look at this story, we need to be aware of the different soils, uh, again, on those two levels. We need to know the types of reaction to expect. We need to know that there are some that are simply not going to listen, that are going to fall on that hard soil, be unresponsive. We need to know there's some that will never take root. There's others who will respond, begin to take root, and then let the empty promises of this life choke out the life of that seed. And then we're promised that when the gospel is our priority, we're promised that when the kingdom is our priority, that the seed that is planted will produce a crop 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. The Spirit of God working in your life, the Spirit of God with His hand on your life can produce that kind of crop. We can live, this isn't just for certain Christians or, or really mature, great Christians that have been Christians forever. We can live lives that are growing. We can live lives where people see the power of God, where they see the grace of God displayed in our lives on a daily basis. If we allow God to work the soil, if we allow God to grow that seed that's been planted in us, and if we allow him to direct our steps, if we're sensitive to where the Spirit is leading us as we plant the seeds, we can trust that God will give us places to sow in good soil, again, where we'll see that crop. When I planted the grass seed in my yard, it didn't grow everywhere I threw it. But I knew the seed was good. And I continued to spread it and to throw it until it began to look like a lawn again. As Christians, we need to trust God. We need to sow liberally. We need to expect a harvest. Jesus tells us this is the way the kingdom grows. And that hasn't changed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this this 
great peek behind the kingdom or behind the curtain of your kingdom. This peek at the way that you say it's going to be. And Lord, I know that for all of us, as we've attempted to share the gospels with the gospel with others, we have seen this story play out. We've seen people that fit into each of these categories. Lord, I pray here in this place that you would find good soil in the hearts and in the lives of those at Community Bible Church. And Lord, I pray that we would be willing to step out. I pray that we would be active. I pray that we would uh, so liberally and that we would so expectantly. Lord, with things like VBS, that you would give us boldness to proclaim the gospel to these kids that need to hear it. Boldness to proclaim the gospel to the families that will come into this place, some of whom have no church family, no church connection. Lord, we pray for a harvest. We pray for good soil in these coming days. Lord, we pray as a church that you would take what is sown and that we would see a yield, we would see a crop 30, 60, 100 times what's been sown to the point where we can only look and say we couldn't have done that by ourselves. That is only the power of God. That is only the grace of God. Lord, we continue to trust that you have a plan for this place that it's a good plan, and that it's a plan to grow your kingdom through us. Amen.